Father, as we look into your word again today, we ask that you would speak to us through your scriptures. Holy Spirit of God, you have promised to guide us into all truth. And so guide us now, we pray, as we share together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been looking together at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them what you think it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a disciple? Anybody? Spreading the word? Doing God's will, helping other people and following the word? Being and walking with the Lord? All the days of our lives. Great answer. Any, any others? Being willing to share outside the church. That's the scary bit, isn't it? Scary enough inside the church, let alone outside the church. Yep. Comfort. Yep. What else? Not being afraid to share. Okay, awesome. Where, where were we looking at? Where does all this come from? Well, initially, Jesus says it in Matthew 28, doesn't he? His last command to everybody is, go and make disciples of all nations. And we've been looking at that, and we realize that it's in Jesus' DNA, because all the way through his life, right at the start, when he called his first disciples in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, come, and I'm going to send you out to be fishers of men. These are to fishermen, right? So he, he took the natural business, instead of fishing for fish, now... I'm going to make you into people that go out and fish for men. In other words, who go and make disciples. It was Jesus' whole ministry to do that, which is why when they first, the first 12 came, he sent them out straight away. He says, let's go do the job before you've had any lessons. be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Imagine going, going to a, uh, I don't know, a, a class in, uh, in pottery making, and they just give you a lump of clay and says, go and then make some pots. I mean, I did that once, and it didn't turn out very well, you know, and you put it on the, what's it called, the, the wheel thing, and it was an electric one, it wasn't even one of the pedal ones, so you couldn't tell what speed it was going, and it just went absolutely everywhere, and I got soaked and coated, and thought, this was really ridiculous, why don't you teach us how to do it first? But Jesus' methodology was just, let's go do it, let's send them out, and then they came back, and then they had stories to tell. And then Jesus said, okay, let me teach you from now on. So we, we've been asking ourselves, so then, well, what is a disciple? What does it mean? Because we need to know for ourselves that we're disciples. What does it mean for us to be a disciple before we can go and tell other people about what it really means? And the best way to look at that is the early disciples in Acts chapter 2. These were the guys that were with Jesus for three years, and then when Jesus died, rose again, the Holy Spirit came, and this is how it described them going out when they first received the Spirit of God and the church was born just after Pentecost. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We've been looking together at those four things. Firstly, the first characteristic, the key characteristic of all of this is that they were devoted. Devoted means what? Do you remember? Dedicated, steadfastly involved in. Think of a lighthouse. A lighthouse is the picture you get in your mind when you think of the biblical term devoted. It means they were steadfast. Lighthouses are what? Generally, they're fixed on rock. You don't build a lighthouse on the beach, right? Why not? Because when high tide comes in, you remember sandcastles? They were never there the next day, were they? Not because the big guys came along and kicked them, but because the ocean comes in and washes it all clear. Right? They're steadfast, but they're also involved. They do the job. There's no point a lighthouse sitting there and not shining the light so that people go crashing into the headland, right? They're there doing the job while they're there. The disciples were steadfastly involved in these four things. Firstly, the apostles' teaching or the word of God. Secondly, to fellowship with one another. Thirdly, we looked at the breaking of bread last week to, to worship, to praise, to adoration. And today we're going to look at the fourth aspect, which is... Let's try that again. Today we're going to look at the fourth aspect, which is prayer. Good. You're with me. Prayer. When you look at the word devotion, 50% of the time where the word devotion is used in the New Testament, it's linked to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Prayer is the key, the essential, when you're thinking about devotion. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Our lives are to be lives of prayer. In fact, you can measure someone's level of discipleship or level of devotion to God by the amount that they pray. You show me someone who prays often, frequently, who prays deeply, who has that connection with God, and I'll show you someone who is going in the right direction in discipleship. You show me someone who takes their prayer life lightly, and I'll show you a weak disciple. It's as simple as that. You want to be a, a better disciple of Jesus Christ, a better follower? Then focus on your life of prayer. Let's look at it together a little bit. Because those new believers were steadfastly involved in prayer. They got together and prayed. Before the Spirit of God came, what did Jesus tell them to do? Wait in Jerusalem and pray. He didn't say discuss all the theological insights of what we've been doing. He didn't say let's have committees to set up the color of carpets or our wall hangings in the upper room or what kind of coffee we're going to have after, you know. Just do one thing. Get together. Just keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. And then the Spirit of God's going to come. That's all he asked them to do. Fellowship and prayer. That's what they did. But why pray? Doesn't God know everything? Psalm 139 says what? It says, I know when you sit and when you write. I perceive your thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on our mouths or in our minds, God knows it. So why, why do we need to 
tell him what he already knows. Then we've asked him, but he knows we're going to ask him before. Right, the first reason, why pray? Because he tells us to pray. When God tells you to do something, it's a good idea to do it. Trust me. I've tried disobeying God. It does, never goes well. One, because God can outlast any one of us. And he's patient. And he just sits there, I think, and says, well, he'll come around eventually when it gets really uncomfortable. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, pray, doesn't he? Disciples say, teach us to pray. But before that, Jesus says, when you're praying, when you're praying, three times in that passage in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, it's a given that they're going to be praying. Prayer, he says, is, it's just a, a bedrock. It's essential. If you're going to follow me, you need to be people of prayer. You need to be people that are talking to God and listening to God. Firstly, why pray? Because God tells us to. It's good for us to share with God and to verbalize our feelings, our thoughts, our life, our story as we go through life. Secondly, God acts when we pray. Acts chapter 10, verse 4. This is Cornelius. You remember Cornelius, the Gentile? He's there, and he's been praying and giving money to the poor. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to him and says what? Acts 10 verse 4, it says, God has heard your prayers. If he hadn't been praying, if he hadn't have been sharing his desires with God, even as a Gentile, then God wouldn't have sent Peter to him and brought the Holy Spirit to his household. But the word is specific. It says he heard him. He heard him speaking. And your prayers have gone up, and, and God's taken a note of you because of your prayers and your actions. And so the first, the second thing we need to do is remember that God acts when we pray. I love this passage in Acts chapter 12. I love it so much, I'm going to read it to you. And I just realized it the other day. But this is where Peter is in prison. He's arrested, he's taken away, he's put in prison, and he's there and he's chained to two guards, one on each side of him. And he's stuck in prison. This is not like Paul and Silas where they had that hymn singing, you know, it's choir practice time. This is Peter all on his own, except with these two guards, and he's put in prison. And it says here, so Peter, verse, verse 5 of Acts chapter 12, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So they called a prayer meeting that night at the church, and they said, Peter's in prison, our brother's in prison. We need to just get together and pray. Let's just get together. Let's just pray. We're going to keep praying until God does something. And then what does God do? It says, Peter, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in a light, and a light shone in the, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off, and Peter walked out 
And do you remember the story? Because he, he finally goes back to the church and they don't believe Tabitha, I think it is, opens the door and says, it's Peter goes, it's me. And they go. And she goes and tells the disciples and the disciples say, no, it can't be because he's in prison. They don't even believe in their own prayers. And it's a wonderful, that bit where he struck him on the side. Do you, know, do you remember when that same Peter struck the, the ear off? It's the same word. It's like the angel came up and just walloped him across the side of the head and said, like, what are you doing sleeping? You should be praying as well, I think. What are you doing having a kip? Get up. Get going. Get out of here. Because the church was praying, God acted. Now, I don't understand it all. None of us really understand it, but I, I can tell you this. When we pray, God does something. When we don't pray, often he doesn't. Now, I'm not saying that every time we get together and we pray for something. I've been praying for an Audi TT for a very long time. No, I haven't really, but you know, still waiting, right? Not really, but I'm not saying you can just come to God and say, well, we've been praying for this, therefore God's going to do it, as we will see in a moment. But the truth is that when people come together, when there is a unity of heart and the people start praying, God, God hears those kinds of prayers. And he's moved to do something about it. One of the difficulties, I think, in the church today is it's, been a, it's a church that has stopped praying. I was talking to a colleague of mine just last week. He said he has a church within his, the church where he serves. And they have over a thousand members in that church. And he says every day they come together. Every morning there's 40, 50, 60 people gathering to pray. And the pastor of that church told my friend, they said, you know, you want church growth? Get your people praying together. So it's not surprising that God is doing something in churches where people come together to pray. Where we don't, it's not surprising things are not happening. God acts when we pray. Thirdly, God opens our lives to the impact of the Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and says the Spirit will come and teach you into all truth. When we pray, we open our spirits to be receptive we, we reveal our insights. We allow the Spirit of God to come in and do the work within us. That's what prayer does. It opens you up. It's like a flower that, that is closed, and then the sun comes and it opens up, and you see the beauty of the flower. When you pray, your spirit opens up in that same way, and you invite the Holy Spirit to come in and do the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And so when you don't pray, you're just keeping yourselves closed up. You're not allowing the Spirit in to do the work that the Spirit wants to do. Not allowing the fruits of the Spirit to grow. The gifts of the Spirit to grow within you. The comfort that the Spirit can bring. The peace of God passes all understanding. And all these other things that the Spirit wants to bring to you. That happens when you sit down and you open and you connect your spirit to the Holy Spirit of God through prayer. And fourthly, there's so many benefits. I haven't got time to go through them all, but let me just list a few of them. 
This is what the Bible says about what happens when we pray. Gives us direction, prevents wrong decisions, eliminates worry and anxiety, produces inner peace, produces confidence, sharpens our discernment in making decisions, provides us additional energy, energy so that we soar on wings like eagles, and enhances our focus. It protects us from discouragement and it opens doors to opportunities. And that's just the tip of the iceberg about what the Bible says can happen when we pray. Why pray? Because through prayer, it's one of the preeminent channels in which God impacts the life of ourselves and others around us. Jesus said, just keep on praying. The Word says, pray without ceasing. But then how? How do we pray? Really quickly. Firstly, Matthew 7, again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find and knock door's going to be open. You know it. Awesome. You're making me proud of you guys today. But the Greek says, not just ask, it says, keep on asking and you're going to receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Keep on doing it. Keep on going. Keep on persevering. Sometimes we get discouraged with prayer because we ask God and he doesn't seem to answer us. And we're like, well, what's the point of that then? Lord, I, I asked and nothing happened. But God, the word says, keep on asking. Jesus said, keep on asking me. Keep on because it keeps on opening up that spirit. It keeps on sharing your heart's desire. It keeps on enabling the spirit of God to come in and do the work within you. Keep on asking. Even if you don't seem to be getting the response, just keep on going. Keep on going. Secondly, James 5 says, always pray in faith. The prayer of a righteous person yields the results. This is where it talks about the role of elders in church to go around and heal the sick. You pray in faith. The prayer of faith is critical. When we pray for someone, when we pray for a situation, what are we doing? Are we just kind of giving it to God and say, God, you, I don't know, it's yours? Or do you pray trusting in a God that has the ability to answer those prayers? Trusting in a God and a good heavenly Father that loves to give good gifts to his children. Praying and saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like that Father who brought his son to the feet of Jesus Christ. Pray in faith and believe in the answers that God can give. God loves to answer our prayers. He loves to do that. So believe in his answers. Matthew 21 says this, Matthew 21, 22, this is, uh, he says, if you believe, let me read it from verse 21. I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what I, was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. You have to believe in the answers that God's going to give you. Always ask him first. Ask him what he wants. 
Ask him so that you pray with that degree of of power and confidence in what God wants you to do. When somebody comes to me and says, can you pray because this person is sick or I need this or that? First thing you do, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to pray for this? What do you want me to say? And sometimes God gives you the words to say. Sometimes he just, it's nothing. And sometimes he says, no, don't pray like that. Do do it this way. I'm not going to do that. So pray for this instead. But ask him, Lord, so that you then believe in the answers and in the thing that you're praying for. Because God loves to use you as a channel of grace, a channel of the power of the Spirit into other people's lives. And the critical thing, always ask according to his will. That means you pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you ask for anything in my name, I'll do it. Now, in his name means in accordance with it. It's as if Jesus were asking that thing. It's as if Jesus was standing there and speaking the words that you're speaking. So are you praying in Jesus' name? Are Are you praying according to his will? And as I said, sometimes you know, yes, this is what God wants to do. And so you can pray with power and confidence in that. Sometimes, sometimes you just don't know. And I just think, if I don't know what God is saying to me, then I'm going to pray. That gives me permission almost to pray what I want, right? Because if he hasn't told me clearly, if he hasn't spoken to me clearly and said, this is what I want you to pray for, then sometimes I think God says, no, you just pray. You just pray. And the more we read his word and the more intimate we are and the deeper we are in our discipleship with Christ, the more in tune we are with the heart and the spirit of his son anyway. So sometimes just pray. If he doesn't give you a clear word, just pray what what feels right to you. And sometimes, as I said, he says, no, don't do that. Don't pray for that. Pray for this. This is not the real issue. This is the real issue. Pray for this instead. I remember I was in a church, and there was a a woman there that was, uh, she was dying of cancer. And the church was praying and praying and praying for God's healing. And I remember sitting there one Sunday when the pastor was up the front praying for the healing for this woman. And I said, Lord, are you going to heal her or not? And he said, no. This is a good saying to me. No, I'm not going to heal her. I'm going to heal her when she comes to me. But actually, she's come to faith before she's just come to me. She was a brand new believer. And I had the privilege of baptizing her before she died. But the Lord said, I'm not, I'm not going to heal her until she comes and sees me face to face. Now, I, I don't get all of that, right? I don't, I don't have all the right answers for all of that. And I don't understand why God heals some people and he doesn't heal others and all these kind of issues. That's a different sermon anyway. But I suddenly realized, well, if God's not going to heal her, why are we praying all the time so fervently for her healing? Why not pray for her comfort and that the the days that she has left will be full of fruitfulness and joy for her and comfort and all these other things that maybe we should be praying for instead of just saying, Lord, please heal her, please heal her, please heal her. 
pray according to the will of God. And if you sit there and you listen, God loves to speak to his children. Jesus said, didn't he, when he talked about being the good shepherd, my sheep know my voice. Listen to his voice. That's what he loves. And lastly, always pray with thankfulness. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Colossians 3, 17, lots of passages. When you pray, always be thankful to God. Why? Because he's done everything for us, right? We're going to have communion in a little while. He's died for us. He's redeemed you and me. We could be in such a mess, looking at a bleak future and a bleak eternity. But God has done so much. And God loves to, to pour out blessing in people's lives. Blessing that is for all eternity. He is a good father, a good God. And when we come to him, we need to recognize and be thankful. Thankful even sometimes if we don't like the answer that he gives to us. Thankful that he knows better than we do. Thankful that he is in control. Thankful that he knows the plans he has for you. And they're beautiful. Give thanks. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes you feel like you're going through a really tough time and it's hard to, to be in that situation and say, thank you, God. But when you stop and you really think, there's plenty to be thankful about. Even in sometimes in the darkest moments. Those disciples were steadfastly involved in prayer. What about us? I have a friend. He's one of those really annoying people. He, he asks me those questions that nobody else asks. You know those kind of people? They're great friends to have. But sometimes you just want to be unchristian. You know what I'm talking about. Because sometimes he asks me, he says, David, how's your prayer life going? Shut up. And I know he asks it when his prayer life's going pretty well, right? It, there's times where he doesn't ask. And then when he's quiet, then I ask him. I say, so, how's your prayer life going? But it's really good to ask other people. Ask one another, people that you're close to. Hey, how's your prayer life going? How's it really going? I mean, cut away all the nonsense. Don't give me the church answer, right? Don't give me the, the spiritual. Really, how's it going? Are you close to God? Do you feel close? Are you hearing God? And secondly, ask one another this. Somebody said prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. It's a good way to see, answer the first question. How often do you listen as well as speak? How many of us go into our prayers and say, Lord, I need this and this and this and this and this. Lord, can you fix this problem? Can you do this for me? Can it, thanks very much. And then we're out the door. Now, on with the work. Prayer is about communication. It's about listening. It's about being still and knowing that he's God. And the more that you listen, the more that you hear his voice. The more that you sit at his feet and just receive, then the deeper your prayer life becomes. 
Ask yourselves today. As you come before God around his table, how is your prayer life going? Would you say you're devoted to prayer? Is it the first thing you do when you wake up? Morning, Lord. Is it the last thing you do when you go to bed? Is it, is it there throughout the day? Are there times where you're just listening and saying, Lord, just speak to me. As I read your words, speak to me. As I, as I just be still, speak to me. I want to hear your voice. Lord, before I ask you anything, speak to me. That I know that what I'm asking is according to your will. Is that you? Being a disciple means that prayer, our lives of prayer and communion with God are the most central things in our lives. What about you? Father, as your disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to listen to you. Help us to be still and know that you're God. And Father, sometimes we find that really hard because there's so many voices going on in our minds. There's so many pressures, so many things that we have to do. And Lord, you love it when your people are still before you. When we listen to you, when we hear your voice speaking to us. You love it when we just, well, like a little child climbing into a grandparent's lap, just come and sit there. And we feel the warmth of your hug. And we just spend time in your presence. Father, teach us to pray and to be people of prayer. Unite us and grow us as we learn more and more what it means and how to grow as a disciple of you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.